once the most electrifying woman in pornography, is now facing false charges in San Bernardino County, California, sitting in jail for almost half a decade without a trial. She's exposing the corruption within the legal system. Calling from the West Valley Detention Center in San Bernardino County, you are listening to Behind the Walls with Mercedes Carrera. Fentanyl death 
in custody. There's a big lawsuit about it. And yet nobody is looking at the 354 in custody fentanyl deaths at San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. I find that to be odd. I don't know what the reason for that is. I don't know if it's political. I don't know if it's because um, the sheriff, Shannon Dickus, is very good at cozying up the state. Riverside recently uh, had a deputy that was caught trafficking in fentanyl and other illicit contraband. I don't know how the fentanyl is getting into jail. I There are different reasons to suspect maybe it's something similar. I do know inmates bring it in. I, I don't know. But obviously it's a problem. A friend of mine looked at the information, and as to my knowledge, the last in-custody death, but this was as of four or five days ago, was October 30th at Adelanto Detention Center. Probably, I'm sure, somebody has died since then, because that the last, that was three or four days ago that that information was looked at. You can probably find that, find that out. So, um, I went to court on... Monday, November 6th, I was transported to court and chains. I was taken to a cell that was adjacent to a courtroom. I was not brought into a courtroom. I did not get to see a judge. So, for all of you who seem to think that being in custody is something like law and order, it is not. I was taken into a freezing cold cell in chains. I sat in a cell. I conferred briefly with my co-defendant's attorney because my attorney was not present. She came to see me and talked to me through a trace lot, like a little window in a cell door. Um, I was given a peanut butter sandwich to eat. Just peanut butter, no and jelly. Then I was, yeah, peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, that's what oh, they give us. Oh, they got okay. At least there was jelly. It was just a peanut butter sandwich. Oh. That would have been like, oh wow, that's just yeah, cool. oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if I call it jelly. It's corn syrup, and uh, and then I was brought back to jail. I was not taken into the courtroom. But, you know, so all of you need to understand that. I mean, I've been told this is due process. Mm. I feel very strongly that this is a violation of my Fourth and Fifth Amendment rights. Not to mention. Not to mention all of the other violations of my rights, given the falsification of documents, the way I was apprehended outside of, of my domicile without a warrant. I was I was questioned without Miranda rights. I was there's we can go on and on. Mm. There's a lot there. I, I I've been lied to repeatedly about what is in evidence exactly. Uh, you know, part of the delay, the delay on my trial has to do with what items are in evidence exactly. There's this, there's this ongoing quagmire about my daughter's phone being in evidence and they can't open it. I've told them I'll open it, but there's nothing on there. They told me it's on the East Coast. The FBI has it. I mean, that sounds like a lie. That sounds like a lie. But this was some form of delay by the prosecution. Um, 
it this is a kind of special hell that I did not know existed. I understand now why the advocates for uh, defendants, you know, like the Innocence Project, are so you know vehement about clearing people. Um, I've watched, you know, Caucasian girls go free when there are actual dead bodies on cases. Um, and the system is absolutely racist. Anybody who says it's not is bullying themselves. Um, and I, I don't know, uh, oh, I think, uh, Louis, you said that there was somebody who brought something up. There was some question on, on, or some statement on one of the last podcasts I made. Uh, yes. And I I received a letter from um, a friend slash fan of mine, Tommy, who said that there are people, I I don't know if there are people in the industry who now, at this point, are realizing that, hey, maybe this was all a big setup. Hey, yeah, what do you know? Hmm. It's only taken five years for people to come around. Thanks a lot. (laughs) So... Better, better, well, late, better late than never. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, A. Baldwin McCurdy, uh, he's uh, in the episode Can America? Uh, I, uh-huh. I, po- I, you know, we posted a question. Do you think Russia will overthrow the United States on the world stage? He he replied. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he uh, he co- he commented. I highly doubt it. I think Putin cares about Russia. And that's it. If we lose the Federal Reserve as the global currency, we might lose the world stage, but we might gain back what... Okay. Well, that's... I mean, that's an interesting take. Um, I think that's a very interesting take. I think... I think people... Uh, you know, here's... So here's what I would recommend to everybody, and I really strongly believe this. I, now, I haven't seen... <laughs> I know Hamilton the play was, like, a big thing. I never got to see it. Uh, yeah. But what I do recommend is everybody... You know, I, I I don't know that I support, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda's takeaway from the book, but I do recommend everyone read Cherno's Hamilton, because it's just a wonderful, wonderful treatment of Hamilton's life. And he makes a very strong case for... Uh, the banking system and Hamilton himself, Alexander Hamilton was a very forward-thinking politician for his day. And I've had a lot of time, a lot of time to read in the last four and a half, almost five years. Um, and I think, you know, when you start, this is just my opinion. So take of it what you will. But I think when you take a look at the globe and how interconnected we are today, and even when you look to the past, when you look at global credit, it, you know, it's an interconnected web, but there's kind of a, there's kind of a tendency right now, and I, I think there's a lot of this, especially with a lot of people who are very pro-Trump, people want to contract and they want to become isolationist, and they think that that's going to make America great again. And I think that's a big mistake because it, if you start severing those ties to global networks, that's actually going to 
that's going to contract our uh, our financial system and our networks, and that our standard of living is going to suffer. And um, <laughs> so, you know, this is where I was making this case to somebody else. I think Trump, in a lot of ways, is basing his platform on Andrew Jackson. If you read about Andrew Jackson, he had the same exact platform. You know, drain the swamp. That was because Washington D.C. was a swamp. So Andrew Jackson was running around saying drain the swamp, and you know, um, Andrew Jackson was slighted in an election in uh, 1824. They stole this election from him. They actually stole it. I mean, stolen elections are as American as apple pie. Uh, and anyone who doesn't understand that needs to read a history book. I mean, actually, as far back as 1800, I mean, you, it, it, again, read, read Chernobyl's Hamilton, and you'll see that. Um, but the problem with isolationism at this point in time is our standard of living will suffer. Especially because we have outsourced so much manufacturing. We don't make anything anymore. So, I think the idea of like getting rid of the Fed or cutting global networks, there's this kind of nostalgia that everybody has about, you know, going back to the past and things were better back then. But that's a, that's a mistake, I think. I think that's a mistake because we're not living in the past and if we try to isolate ourselves, I think we'll be worse off than we are right now. And I think Trump's playing on a lot of that nostalgia because things were better in the past. But we had different infrastructure, we had people, and we had a very solid manufacturing base that we don't have now. So I think it's foolhardy. And I think the idea of getting rid of the Federal Reserve would certainly be foolhardy. So, um, what if that, we, I mean, what if we, instead of getting rid of the feather, we, like, replace it with just bringing back the actual mint? Like, like, having the government print its own money again. Because the Federal Reserve, everyone knows, every note that they print has debt already attached to it. Well, but that's, that's what credit is. That's, that is what credit is. So, you know, I don't know, I mean, look, I'm not an economist, I'm not a banker, mm -hmm. so I don't know that I could speak intelligently to it, but I think that that is what a credit-based system is, and I think the system that we have in place has allowed for us to have really the best standard of living that is possible. So I think it's really easy to, to criticize the Fed without looking at it and saying, hey, you know, it's created this system whereby... You know, everybody in the country is walking around with like these magical little computers in their pocket that can look up, you know, the entirety of history. People have two cars in their garages and people have, you know, giant refrigerators full of food from all over the planet. And I think people forget how good their standard of living is compared to how it used to be. So it's easy to be dissatisfied. You know, Louis C.K. is one of my favorite comedians and he has this amazing skit called Everything's Amazing and Nobody's Happy. And, you know, the Federal Reserve has, has been the progenitor of that standard of living. I think we're back. 
Well, I think, and I think the thing is that Americans are, by by our very nature, we are nostalgic people. There's this kind of nostalgia for what we perceive to be a better day or a better era that's gone by, right? So, um, we think there was a better time. You know, even like, this is where Trump, I think, really hit a nerve where he said, make America great again, right? Because there's this belief that the past was better. That things were better in the past, that we were, we were wealthier and we were more prosperous, right? But if we take a step back from that and we really look at it, is that true? Is it true? Because if you read, if you really read a lot of history, it's not really the case. Things have always been tumultuous. Like, there's this story I think a lot of us have been told about the founders, right? We're, we're told this story about these glorious founders. They were these wonderful men who created this country. And if you really read about them, this is why I suggest all of you go pick up pick up Cherno's Hamilton. If you're not going to read anything else about the founders, just go pick up that one. I, I suggest Sterling's John Adams, too. Um, but pick up that book. Because you'll read in detail. And there's a lot of other books you can read about. I... I like, I'm a big fan of uh, Paul Johnson and his book about uh, the history of the American people. That one's also fantastic. But you'll really get a good sense of how absolutely petty and vengeful and spiteful the founders were and how nasty politics were back then. For example, they didn't have Twitter, right? So what they would do is they would write these just histrionic essays anonymously attacking one another. And I mean, I'm talking like, like, for example, one time Hamilton wrote a 54-page pamphlet attacking John Adams. That's not a pamphlet. When Adams ran for his... Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it was called, a pamphlet. I mean, it was a book. And and keep in mind, John Adams and Hamilton, they were on the same team. They were both Federalists. But they had to... At that point, they hated each other, okay? So... (laughs) And actually, that was one of the few that he didn't write anonymously. And you want to talk about the anonymous essays? Oh, they, they would write them with just this vitriol, and then they would they would sign them Cato or Philo or some other you know Roman name, and they would hint at who who they were. So they would do basically what people are doing now on Twitter, except instead of 150 characters or less, they would do these this is long winded essays, right? And these were the founders. These are the guys that, you know, when we went to school, they would tell us, oh, the founders, and there were these wonderful men. I mean, Alexander Hamilton was probably the most brilliant out of all of them. He really was. I mean, he set up the country for capitalism because he understood, hey, you can't have a country of nothing but agrarian slave owners. He he saw the future. He said, we need to have more than that. The country can't be nothing but, you know, slave-owning southerners. Okay, so he set up the banking system. Brilliant move. And he was also a, just a long-winded, pedantic individual who would attack. And he did it better than anyone else. So, you know, we have all these, these writings that John Adams, you know, he had kept journals full of his spiteful, vengeful words. And, um... I mean, Washington at least kept his mouth shut most of the time, but I mean, there were a couple points where he took Jefferson and Hamilton to task, and 
actually said, I wish that I were dead, that I didn't have to deal with this. Hmm. This is how nasty these guys were. It, this is, it, how is that different than what we're dealing with now? doesn't seem like it. It's exactly the same. Yeah. It's exactly the same, except the difference is that people were dying of yellow fever and malaria. Right? They didn't have antibiotics, and they still had time to fight over politics. Right? The Crazy, pe- isn't it? The so people, pettiness is strong in this one. Oh, yeah. I mean, these are, these are people who are sitting there writing with quill and feather. Just, you know, pages and pages to destroy one another while they still ran the risk of dying. Of, you know, structure. Think about that. So, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. People are still the same. But our standard of living is, is in orders of magnitude better. And I think it's really easy for people to lose sight of that. And I want to remind people of this because I live in a place right now where all I have access to is print, I have printed materials. I have very low quality food and I have access to a telephone for three hours a day. And really, that telephone I have access to, I have to share. Hmm. So I have access to very, very little. I have one set of clothing per week, per week. And if I get sick, I have to really decide whether or not I even want to let anyone know because I run the risk of being shipped off to a filthy cell and getting sicker. Okay? So when everybody complains about, you know, the modern world, there's a piece of me... After this experience for four and a half years, I kind of want to go, hey, wait a second. You guys are living in the most miraculous time. And you have no idea. Because you hold in your hand a miraculous device whereby you can look up anything you want. And you're watching cat videos. That's what you're choosing to do. (laughs) I have to beg. I I have to beg for materials. I asked for uh, Paul Johnson wrote a book on the papacy, on the Pope, and the facility would not give it to me because it had within it a picture of the birth of Adam, you know, from inside of Michelangelo's the birth of Adam that is in the, in the Sistine Chapel, and they considered that to be nudity. And so I was disallowed the book. This is this is the kind of insane pettiness that I live with. I was disallowed a book on the papacy because of a picture of artwork by Michelangelo. All of the rest of you who are listening to this, anytime you want, can use your phone and look at any artwork you want that exists anywhere in the world. Think of how fortunate you are. That is amazing. That is a miracle. It's miraculous. I cannot do that. I have to listen to the most inane television all day long. And I have no choice. I have no choice in the matter. In the case of this guy and this guy, you are... Oh, you know what? That is a superior option. That that would be a superior television choice. That would be a good day. I, what I wouldn't give to be able to listen to classical music. I am 
I am so beside myself when every now and then on a commercial, somebody chooses to put on Debussy. I think, oh my goodness, that's a wonderful day. For 15 seconds, when I can... I hate Burger King. I hate Burger King so much because they play Burger King commercials like every couple of minutes in here. And I swear on my life, I will never eat at a Burger King ever again. Not that I really did that often, but just on principle. I will never eat at Burger King ever again. They make the most annoying commercials I've ever heard. It's some sort of auditory torture. And they all sing along to the commercial. <laughs> imagine, imagine 20 inmates all going, BK, have it your way. You rule. <laughs> I don't yeah. mean to laugh, but oh my God. It sounds like, <laughs> no, it no, sounds like you're living in an idiocracy. It is. No, if, if you, if, if there was any question as to whether or not idiocracy existed, I will tell you. It is here, it is alive, it is in West Valley Detention Center in Rancho Cucamonga, California. I, I, no, I, I know, it's comical. Mm. <laughs> it haunts my nightmares. Uh. And that's, that's why I'm saying, so when people complain about things, you know, like I hear people saying things like, well, we need to go back to hardback currency. I think, are you kidding me? Everybody would be impoverished, except maybe the royals in England and all of your politicians in D.C. It doesn't work. There's not enough species on the planet. That's that's the benefit of having a system of fiat. Will it will it collapse eventually? Yeah, probably. A fiat does, and then we'll trans transition to something else. But in the interim, it allows for for uh, capitalization of all of these wonderful businesses and all these products. To move about the globe. I mean, it, here, read it. There's another book called 1493. Mm -hmm. Amazing book. It's by Charles Fan. And he talks about how actually, this is how China, back in the, I think it was the 15, 15, 16th, 17th centuries, really destroyed itself because they had had these experiments with fiat. Especially during the, I think it was the Yuan Empire, it's when the, the Mongols ran things. But the problem was, you know, you're talking about medieval uh, modes of travel, right? So they couldn't really, they couldn't create fiat that was uh, universal. So it was very much local, localized fiat. So it would collapse periodically. And so they decided to go to specie, to silver, specifically. Mm -hmm. Spanish silver. And what they did in order to obtain the Spanish silver, they were selling silk and porcelain and, and uh, I mean, the, the Chinese have always been kind of a manufacturing center of the world, right? Well, they, they gave so much away to get this Spanish silver because they coveted it and they don't, they don't have it. They don't have silver mines in China. And they wanted silver because before that they had been using copper coins, which were Unyieldy, and they were, they were, I mean, you'd have to create like strings of these things. It's like, it's just like trying to, you know, run hedge funds with quarters or something, mm. right? So, um. Yeah, I've, I've seen those so they, in movies. 
they would carry around like uh, coins on a on a little string. Yeah, I've, I've seen those in the yes. kung fu movies. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So, so they started using silver that they were obtaining from the from the Spanish, and this was the Spaniards were sending ships over because they wanted all these Chinese goods. And the Chinese at that point were already creating silk ready to wear for the for the Spaniard elite. It's interesting, hmm. but. This is how they got themselves in a bind because the English didn't have goods to trade with the Chinese, and they also didn't have um, uh, silver. So you know what they did? They started drug dealing. They started picking up opium in Turkey. Interesting, right? Yeah. And that's how the opium wars came about because they trade them opium to get silver to pay, use silver to pay off the debt. Anyway, I'll, I'll call you back. I gotta lock it down. All right. The caller has hung up. Thank you for listening to Behind the Walls with Mercedes Carrera. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and share. Information on how to write to Mercedes and to put money on our books, go to freemercedescarrera.com. That's freemercedescarrera.com.